We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Let's turn our Bibles this evening to Matthew chapter 28, please. Matthew chapter 28. We're at the very end of the uh, book here, last chapter is how I should say it. We have uh, a couple more sections to go. We're going to treat uh, verses 9 through 15 tonight. 28 verse 9 through 15 will be our topic, or our passage rather. And the title I've put on this message, although there are a couple of things going on here, is the risen Christ is worshipped. The risen Christ is worshipped. Jesus, uh, risen from the dead, I'll uh, allude to this later in the message, seems even more worthy of worship than he did before he died because now you're seeing these, these ladies are going to be seeing a man who they revered before and knew were the, was the Christ, the son of the living God, but now he's risen from the dead and so he's conquered the last enemy and even more worthy of glory and honor, it would seem, if we could say that God, the Son, is worthy of more glory from one time to another. That's a little bit odd of, of a saying, but I think you know what I mean by that. You, you, humanly, you would be stunned, astounded at what these ladies have just experienced, which was, if you remember, in the early part of chapter 28 and the early part of Sunday morning, after the crucifixion, they come to the tomb, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, to see the tomb. They were coming to do some further, uh, uh, we could say, embalming, if you will, uh, with spices and so on. And there was a great earthquake. The angel came down and descended, sat upon the stone that uh, had closed in the doorway to the tomb. And he gave a message to the women First of all, don't be afraid. I know you seek Jesus. He was crucified, but he's not here. He is risen. Um, and they invite him to come, them to come and see the place where the Lord lay. And then they went and told, or he told them to go quickly and tell the disciples that he's risen from the dead and to go out to Galilee. The other thing that happened was that the uh, soldiers uh, became a little bit on the uh, Frady cat side. Uh, they really didn't know what to do, and uh, they were beside themselves uh, with knee-knocking fear that this angel appeared. Um, it it kind of takes what the centurion experienced at the, cro- at the foot of the cross. Remember when he was there and he said, surely this was the Son of God. I mean, he was just blown away by the sequence of events and what happened in Matthew chapter 27. And now these guys, these soldiers are uh, the same, only even to a greater extent. Well, now in um, uh, chapter 28, verse 9, the Bible says this, and I'll read the first two verses and we'll talk about them for a moment. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. 
So they were told by the angel, look, go and tell his disciples. Jesus is gone. He's not here. He's risen. Um, and so they went. But as they went, they got stopped on the way and encountered Jesus himself, who had just risen from the dead. And uh, if you think of it, the shock and surprise of the entire situation may have left them a little bit dumbfounded uh, when they saw Jesus, like, are we really seeing who we think we're seeing, or are we not seeing Jesus, we're seeing somebody else? Remember, at the initial, if you put kind of stitch together the accounts, you have Mary, who is there weeping at the tomb, and she sees a man she thinks is the gardener, and she says, look, if you've taken my Lord away, come and I'll, I'll, go, you know, I'll go get him and take him, put him back where he belongs. And uh, she didn't realize that it was Jesus himself that she was looking at. So her eyes were opened. And then if you look at uh, Luke chapter 24, a similar thing happened with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Remember, they're walking along, sad. Jesus comes along and joins them, and their eyes are are, with, are beholden, you know, withheld from seeing him or recognizing him until they sat down at the table and ate. And then their eyes were open, and they're like, oh, it's Jesus. And then, you know, he's gone, uh, quickly leaves them and goes on to his next uh, uh, destination, if you will, or assignment. Uh, so we can, can uh, kind of, you know, sympathize with them about their initial confusion at who Jesus was. You just don't expect to see a dead person up and around again after you've mourned them. I mean, you know on Thursday night he's told you he's going to die. On Friday you've observed all these trials and all this and the crowd's yelling to crucify him. Everybody's against him. He's hanging on a cross. His mother is there watching. He dies Friday. I mean, you're, you're, you're in a state of total grief on Friday, Friday night. You can't sleep Saturday, Saturday night. I mean, you're talking two to three days of just nonstop, you know, you're fixed in your mind. I can't believe he's gone, but he's gone. I can't believe he's gone, but he's gone. And you're over and over, you know, think of the grief, you know. And now he's back alive again, like some of us wish that our loved ones would do, you know, sit up in their coffin and come out of there and come back to us. But they, especially perhaps young people, have that hope or, you know, it kind of seems like they're alive, you know, but they're not really alive and grief does that to us. So they encountered Jesus and Jesus greeted them with what the New King James says here in my Bible, rejoice, um, but it's a, a word that's an imperative, which this rejoice does carry that imperative force, but uh, it's often used as a formal greeting, not meaning really rejoice, rather uh, it expresses a good relationship that the parties have with one another. Um, it's something like hail or um, good day or welcome or hello, to put it very colloquially, or glad to see you uh, kind of thing. Uh, that's what the greeting is. You know, it's, um, it just is a formulaic kind of word like we use. Um, and I would think if Jesus is saying, you know, hi, good to see you, that the women would actually be saying, no, actually, it's good to see you. <laughs> I mean, uh, this is a surprise. So what did they do? Well, they did exactly what our sister Becky would do, grab on to him. You know what I'm saying? Yes, yeah, some people are huggers, and she's one of those. And uh, they would grab... Now, notice that they grabbed onto him. How did they grab onto him? 
they came and held him by the feet. So you just imagine the posture of that. They probably weren't bent over at the middle, you know, holding his feet down here. They were on their knees. They were just overcome with, uh, you know, emotion and falling down and, uh, and then holding on to him, not wanting to let him go and just express their love and their gratitude, their gratefulness that he's alive and uh, you know, in fact, another one of the other Gospels, I'm not really trying to make this a composition of all the Gospels. I'm really trying to treat it as it stands, but just to think, sprinkle in a few comments from the others, you know, how Jesus said, you know, don't hold on to me. You, you can't keep holding on to me. You know, I, I, you might imagine like if you're, a, if you're from a non-physically um, uh, affectionate family, like one that I came from, you know, you read this and you say, you know, you think, well, they you know, gave him a hug and, and backed off. You know, well, no, they were holding on to him, like, probably for minutes. And it's like it's getting a little uncomfortable here, you know, <laughs> too much hugging going on. Uh, no, but he, he, uh, he says, you can't hang on to me. I, I have to leave. You know, I'm, I'm going to go to my father. You tell the, you, the disciples, you know, your brothers, I'm going to go. I, I can't be here the whole time and stay. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. In fact, he promised... He had to go in order to do what big thing? If I go, uh, I'm going to send the Spirit of God. So he had to send the promise from the Father, but to do that, there was an, a, a step, an order of steps that had to occur. He had to go up, the Spirit had to come down, which he did some days later, and so he had to leave. Um, so they were clinging to him, and they worshipped him. Uh, I mean, it says that here. The text wouldn't even have to say that, would it? I mean, they're bowed down before him. They're hanging on to him. Obviously, they're in a worshipful attitude. But they worshipped him. Completely appropriate for them to worship him. Now, just pause and stop for a moment and think of passages in the Scriptures where there was inappropriate worship. Peter goes to Cornelius, Acts chapter 10. What happened? Cornelius fell down kind of to worship him, right? And Peter said, look, in in the greatest blow to any kind of worship of Peter down to this day, Peter says, stand up. You know, I'm also a man, is the attitude that he had. And uh, in Revelation, John falls down to worship one of the angels. And the angel says, get up. I'm just one of your fellow servants of the the prophets, just like the prophets. I'm nothing to worship. So at least on a couple of occasions, you have refusal of worship. But Jesus never refused worship because he is due worship. He is co-equal with the Father. He is the Son of Man. He is the Son of God. He's God the Son. This is a common response to Jesus. Um, And I've given... Uh, 15 texts in my notes that mention Jesus being worshipped. And I want to park here for a minute because there are some amongst professing Christians who say that Jesus is not God, that he's not worthy of worship, that he's secondary uh, or something like that. Uh, This is not a rare or unattested response in the Bible to the the Lord being worshipped. He's worshipped. Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 2 the text of Scripture says, the wise men came and told Herod 
We have come because we've seen a star in the east and we have come to worship him. And in Matthew chapter 2.11, they find the child with Mary, his mother, and it says, and they worshiped him. Of course, they didn't worship Mary, they worshiped him. And uh, you know the whole issue of worship. The devil tried to get Jesus to worship him. And Jesus said, no, there's only one to worship, and that is God. Uh, in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 2, there are a number of passages. And I, th- I think I even missed one that doesn't use the word worship. But you remember Peter in the boat when the Lord told him, cast the net, you'll get all these fish. And he, he falls down before the Lord and he says, depart from me, O Lord, for I'm a sinful man. That's worship. To recognize that you're a sinner before the holy God is worship. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 2, it says, Behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And he did. Matthew chapter 9, 18. As I said, I'm parking here because I want you to recognize throughout the New Testament Gospels and beyond, worship for the Lord Jesus is called for, encouraged, demanded, and appropriate. Matthew chapter 9, verse 18, While he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. He worshipped. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 33. We've been through all these passages in our study over the last, over two years now in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 14 and verse 33, the Scripture says, Those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Matthew 15, verse number 25, she came and worshiped him saying, Lord, help me. This is a Syrophoenician woman whose daughter was severely demon-possessed. Remember, initially he wouldn't answer her, but she persisted, talked about the crumbs falling from the table that the little dogs eat, and, and he saw her faith in that expression and did exactly as she had wished to heal her daughter. Matthew, and she worshiped him. Matthew 21 and verse number 9, The multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David! Hosanna, or blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! There's worship, even though it doesn't use the word worship. It certainly is that. And then finally, in Matthew's gospel, there's more, but in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew 28 where we are, but just two verses beyond our portion, When the disciples went to Galilee and they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And bear with me as I carry on in this. If if anyone is to uh, come to you and try to confuse you that Jesus is not worthy of worship, you remember that one Wednesday night in February of 2023 when Pastor Matt took you through 15 or more passages of the New Testament that teach that Jesus does receive worship. Don't forget it. Because sometimes they'll try to confuse you and say, you're worshiping another god. You try theist or idolater or whatever. No, we're not at all. We're worshiping the one true God who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and following the example of Scripture. In Mark chapter 5 and verse number 6, the Bible says, the man, the demon-possessed man, remember from Gadara, who was in the tombs and cutting himself and without clothing and crazy, and it says... When he, this is in his unredeemed state. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. 
And it wasn't just the man, but he was possessed by what? Particularly, he was possessed by a demon who called himself Legion, for we are many. The demons fell down and worshipped Jesus because they had to. They had to. His power was overwhelming them. Luke chapter uh, 24 and verse number 52. Luke 24, 52. These notes are online, by the way, in the normal place on the document section there of the website. And again, the uh, disciples, after the Lord <clears throat> went up into heaven, ascended before their eyes, it says, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. John 9, 38, I had the privilege of just reading this in my own devotional times as I'm slowly plodding through the New Testament in Greek, and it says in Matthew 9, 38, when the blind man was healed and then lost track of Jesus, and then he meets him again, and um, Jesus says, you know, do you believe in the Son of God? And he, he said, oh, I, don't, I don't know who he is. <laughs> who is he? And I, So I can believe in him. And Jesus said, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Well, most certainly he recognized the voice of the one who had opened his eyes. And uh, he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. John chapter 12 and verse number 13 John records, they took branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And so, kind of repeated from prior context, but has some different words. Uh, Matthew, uh, or sorry, John 20, 28, Thomas answered my, and said to him, my Lord and my God. There's worship. As he worshiped Jesus, seeing him now, I see, he said, I won't believe unless I see him. Well, Jesus was gracious and let him see. And then finally, here's, here's kind of the nail in the, in the coffin, if you will, on the view that says Jesus is not to be worshipped or he's not God. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 6. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Let all the angels of God worship him. That's a, a third person command, by the way. That is an imperative. It is imperative that Jesus be worshiped. Hebrews 1.8, but to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. So he's called God and he's worshiped as God, demonstrating conclusively that Jesus was, is, and ought to be worshiped. And one more portion of Scripture, if you remember in Revelation chapter 5, there was a great search made for one who would be worthy to open the seven-sealed scroll, seven scroll. And no one was found in heaven or anywhere. And John wept, and then it became evident that there was a lamb who was able to open the scroll with its seven seals. And for from verses 8 to 14 in Revelation chapter 5, the text is filled with the worship of the four living creatures and the angels and the elders falling down and worshiping the Lamb. Worshiping the Lamb. Right there in front of the throne of God the Father. I think we've buttoned up the case, I hope, to your satisfaction. It certainly is to mine. As we return to Matthew chapter 28... And we see that the Lord told 
the women two things. Uh, one, don't be afraid. And two, go and tell my brethren. Okay, so obviously, if you're a man or a woman here, imagine you in this situation. How do you think your heart would be feeling? Probably beating a little faster than usual, perhaps feeling like it's skipping a little bit. Um, you're afraid. You felt strange with all that was happening. He reassured them. And so just by way of a little side application, if I may, a little sidebar, when you're feeling overwhelmed like they were, I would give you hope to take these words to yourself when the Lord said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I know that not all of your situations look exactly like this one, but that's the kind of message that the Lord has for people who fear. I'm with you. I won't leave you. I'm going to help you. Okay? Don't be afraid. He also instructed them to go to Galilee, uh, the disciples to go to Galilee to meet with him. And it must have been important for this to happen because the Lord said, um, Lord said it, and the angel said it before, just a couple of verses earlier. So he wants them to get the message. You better go to Galilee. And we read about that meeting starting in verse 16. And also all of John chapter 21 talks about that, the Sea of Tiberias. Now, um, there's a little narrative here about the bribery that the soldiers uh, involved in, involved themselves in with the Pharisees. And I want to just touch on that. I have, I have quite a few notes on that, and I don't know if I'll be able to get through all of it, but in the few minutes we have remaining, I'll just mention it. It's possible at this point that the guards had observed some of this that happened with the women. They certainly observed the, the angel and the proclamation of the angel and the stone rolling away and the earthquake and the empty tomb and all of that stuff. And maybe they even saw Jesus and one or more of them heard what he was saying to uh, the women. But they were also in a state of shock, having just been stricken with fear by the angel, but also undoubtedly in fear for their lives because they had ultimately failed in their mission to keep the tomb closed and to keep people out of it. Well, to keep people from going into it. The person that was in it came out of it. Um, and a similar situation happened in Acts chapter 12. You remember when uh, Herod captured, well, killed James, then captured Peter, put him in prison. That night the angel came and got Peter out. Well, the next morning there was no small disturbance among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. And eventually Herod looked into it and he said, well, there's no sensible explanation here. These soldiers have got to be killed. So they failed in their duties, so off with their heads or whatever they did with them. And they killed them. So these soldiers are probably thinking, nope, you know, it's not good. And, and I was thinking about this today. You know, if it came down to it for these soldiers, they're just doing their job. They're doing what they've been ordered to do. And forgive me if this feels wrong to you, but I would probably come to their defense myself, these soldiers, because it was impossible for them to do their job in the face of divine intervention. There is no way that they could have been expected to complete their mission when an angel from heaven comes and says, your mission is overridden. I'm opening this tomb whether you like it or not. 
Acts chapter 2, verse 24, Peter's preaching and he says, it's not even possible that death itself could hold Jesus. So a little seal and a little rock and four soldiers or whatever were certainly not going to do the job. It was impossible. So their tools were completely inadequate for the job that they were assigned to do. So we'll defend them. But with their lives on the line, they had to find somebody in the system, so to speak, with power, some power brokers to vouch for them. They couldn't go to Pilate and tell him because that was curtains. You know, they'd, they'd be killed. Uh, they, they went to somebody with a vested interest in the outcome of the situation. They figured, well, if we go to the Jewish priests, they don't want him to be raised from the dead, so maybe we can cut some deal with them. And this was no small matter for the priests. It says that they had to gather together with the elders and the council, I think, bunches of them, to put their heads together and figure out, now what are we going to do? The guy said he's going to rise the third day. Now his body is missing from the tomb. The soldiers have explained to us what happened. They knew the truth of what happened, but they couldn't publish the truth of what happened. Otherwise, you know, they might actually have to believe in Jesus you know, if they were to be uh, consistent and, and, uh, and just about things. So they decided that they would bribe the soldiers to lie. That would suffice to keep the, for the Jews to keep up the story that Jesus was dead. Maybe it would also pay for the living expenses of the soldiers if they had to quit their jobs. Uh, if the governor heard that they had fallen asleep on the job, he might have, they might have been executed for uh, abandoning their uh, post. And, um, you know, the soldier, you put yourself in the soldier's shoes. They're not going to get any better deal anywhere else, are they? So when you're in a situation like that, you're probably going to take the bargain that you get. Um, so they took the bargain. They went about lying about the situation. They lied that they fell asleep, right? They said they, they were told, just say, while well, we slept. Well, they didn't sleep. They didn't fall asleep. They didn't dare fall asleep. Between the four of them or however many there were, maybe two fell asleep, but the other two certainly didn't fall asleep. Uh, which lie, they're lying, and that lie would put them, their lives in jeopardy because they would not have been carrying out their jobs. So that's why they received money from the priests. One second. And so they, they lied also that the disciples came and took away the body. I mean, how they knew the disciples came and took away the body while they were asleep, I'm not sure, unless they might say, well, we just woke up and they were leaving and we couldn't catch them, you know, some uh, flimsy story like that. Uh, and their version of events became commonly reported as the fake news of the day and was circulating around Jewry even years later when Matthew wrote his gospel in 50 to 60 A.D., sometime in there, so perhaps 20, 25, even 30 years later, that same story was being reported. Now, the priests knew better than to take a bribe, much less to give a bribe because the Old Testament is clear. And I won't take you to all these texts, but let me take you to one of them. In Exodus chapter 23 is the first one that I found about bribing. In Exodus 23, this is right after the Ten Commandments in the laws about justice and criminal trials and those things. In Exodus 23, 8, it says, And you shall take no bribe. For a bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. It, that pretty much covers what a bribe does, doesn't it? Perverts justice, perverts the words 
Um, that's why it's so bad when people take bribes. Uh, and let me just count here now. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen places in the Old Testament where bribery is criticized or prohibited. Nineteen times. Um, and uh, by the way, I noticed that all those were in the Old Testament. The word bribery doesn't occur in the New Testament, although this is a case of it. doesn't have to use the word, uh, really, or the word that I looked up anyway, the form of it. Um, here it says they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. So bribery under you know, any other name is still the same. <laughs> it's still what it is. Um, and the principle is as true today as it was then, even though you know, we don't have like uh, Jesus repeating the, the uh, command again. It's obvious. It's immoral. Now, the bribe in this case does not seem to have perverted justice in the sense that it, it didn't get a truly guilty person off the hook. You know, it's not like the mafia paid a little bit to the judge under the table to get the mafia member off the hook. Um, instead, it propagated a lie and helped that lie to be more believable to the crowds because it, you know, the bribe caused there to be more witnesses to that lie. You know, they're false witnesses, but they were testifying to that effect. But it did pervert the truth and direct people away from God and away from the Messiah instead of toward him. Anything that directs people away from God, anything that directs people away from the Messiah is an attack on justice and truth. And so it did pervert justice in that way, or pervert truth maybe is a better, more direct way of saying it. So I conclude with this tonight. What struck me most about the passage was the worship that was offered to the Lord. When the women saw him and they fell down and held him by the feet and uh, wanted to express their devotion to him, when they worshiped, it wasn't maybe kind of the worship that you think of when you come on a Sunday morning you know, we think of worship as primarily what? Singing. But we've said for many years that worship is much more than that. It's not just singing. We're listening to special music. It's, it includes offerings. It includes prayers. It includes the preaching of the Word of God and the gospel and so on. And so we, we might not think of the worship that they were rendering as worship, but, when, but it was bowing down. It was holding his feet. It was expressing reverence and gratitude, and their attitude must have been tremendously worshipful as they were there before the Lord. And that's the kind of attitude that we should have, the kind of attitude we should have. Maybe sometime when you're singing and the meaning of the words sink in and your personal relationship with the Lord pokes your heart and you begin to tear up so that you cannot sing, that may be more worship than singing, right? Because we can just sing the words with a blank brain, not really appreciating what the Lord has done and who he is and so on. And so their attitude was tremendously worshipful. After all, not only did they know everything from before about this man, but now they were seeing a man who himself had risen from the dead. No one had ever done that before. And so it was clear to them that this man was worthy of worship. Worthy of worship. That's indeed the Lord. And so we wouldn't criticize them at all for worshiping him by holding him by the feet. 
someday we'll bow before his throne as well and be able to express our heart of thankful worship to him for who he is and what he's done. Father, now we do worship the Lord Jesus. We thank you for uh, the kindness that you have bestowed upon us to let us see him again in this portion of Scripture, risen from the dead, and the example of the dear women who held him by the feet and fell down before him and worshiped. May our hearts be similarly aligned with theirs, with a tremendous attitude of worship, because he is worthy, the lamb which was slain before the foundation of the world, the lamb which will be lifted up, the lamb which will be the lion of the tribe of Judah, high upon a throne, and at his name every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In our time and our place, may we worship him as we best we can. Thank you for this portion of Scripture. Lord, help our feet to be far from the paths of evil like bribery. Let us not be moved by money, but rather by the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name, amen.